Welcome to Splitting Cases. If you've heard this podcast before, it's been a while between drinks. Refresher, my name's Moose. My name's Pointy. Respective nicknames developed a long time ago, well before there was a mini Moose born in the last year, and another Pointy on the way. Uh, yeah, so the original Pointy Junior is about to turn three. Told you. And yeah, another one on the way, which is... A surprise on the gender this time. A little change in the format, still as much talking shit as ever, and as much um, fanboying out of our favourite group, uh, who, you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know, you already know what we're talking about. But if you haven't, uh, and you're not a fan of the band, this might be diving into the deep end for you. Well, once again, we're, we're talking about the band UMI. Pointy and I met at a UMI gig many, many, many years ago, um, and I was wearing a snake tied shirt, and he said, hey, nice shirt, start of a beautiful friendship. But um, we are slightly obsessive, nerdy fanboys of everything, and so partly what we wanted to do was provide a little bit of a reference point for all those other slightly nerdy UMI fanboys, and um, do a bit of train spotting. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the bands are rock and roll nerds and they definitely pay homage to a lot of what's come before. And not only is that evident in album covers, songs, you know, who they support, all those sort of things, um, but there's also a lot of references littered throughout the songs themselves. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we thought we'd try and package all that up and, and go through each album uh, respectively. I think we should just go through the first four four records though because if we go through everything now it's going to be long so maybe we split this up and we come back to the second half of their career a little later down the track uh but just before we do that even mentioning album covers you know fuck their last album porridge and hot sauce its cover was a reference to another cover itself yeah so that was the i think it's i don't know what version it is but some version of sticky fingers wasn't it a spanish version i hope so yeah so, uh, band being huge music nerds themselves, you know, Tim Rogers in his writing letters, you know, in amongst incredibly personal stories and things about, you know, other characters and people, references to favourite songs, bands, records, they're notably uh, fans of the Stones, Who and The Replacements, all of which they've supported. I'd imagine that's a bit of a dream come true, although mm. there's some pretty interesting stories about that Replacements that tour. Like that what? One. Well, I sort of, from what I read, um, it looks like Paul Westerberg wasn't really that keen on it. and On the tour itself? Or yeah, and it yeah. was like mainly just a let's just do this while we can and get the cash and move on. At some point though, you know, as a, as a fan, if you're going to either not support the replacements or support the replacements who, you know, will still, you know, kick out a great show but are just doing it for the cash, you'd oh, still take still the go. fucking call. If... The Smiths got back together tomorrow and they made it clear that it was only to cash in, I would go. I don't even think they'd need to make it clear. Even if they thinly veiled they were doing it for the love of it, it's not believable, especially from Moz. There's a lot of lawsuits under that belt. <laughs> so it's a lot probably to digest if we just dive into everything at once. Yeah. So how about we break it down into to each album All right. and we'll talk through from there. And then maybe at the end we can just sort of sprinkle in a bit of whatever's left over. A little bit of sprinkle. Yes. Sure thing. All right, so obviously starting with first album, Sound As Ever. What do we got? Well, Sound As Ever, I, th I think the first call out is probably even just who produced the record, which was Lee Renato from Sonic Youth. Yeah, you and I were signed in amongst this grunge wave of, um, you know, let's find the next big band. So a lot of bands were signed to labels quite early on in their career. Like, you and I had had a few EPs out, but being sent over to America to record their first album with Lee Ronaldo in the studios that Nirvana had just packed up from recording in utero in. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think it's Pachyderm Studios. Pachyderm. There's, there's a, a fair few classic albums that were recorded there. Like What's a Pachyderm? Isn't it an elephant? Isn't an so. elephant a Pachyderm? I think an elephant's a Pachyderm. Take the things you learn. <laughs> well, you didn't really learn because you already knew. <laughs> Boom, elephant. And this is what people come to Splitting Cases for. Uh, <laughs> I always found the grunge comparisons or like linking to grunge a little bit strange given the references that the band have. I think it's it's purely the time in which they... Yeah, it's like if you're playing loud guitar rock 
your grunge. Yeah, yeah. We can sell that to the kids. If they're punk influenced and it's loud guitar rock in that time, it's grunge. You know, it's that kind of thing. Are you a big Sonic Youth fan? No. Like, I like them, but I wouldn't say I'm a big fan. Yeah. I mean, I can't say I'm a big fan either. Like, outside of, like, Daydream Nation and Goo. Um, yeah. Like, there's a couple of records that I've got and I'm really into, but I've never really, like, sunk into the whole discography. And I mean, fuck, Sonic Youth are more of, like, an art rock band than a grunge band them- themselves. They've never been typically grunge if you want to lump them in with that kind of sound they're definitely on the fringes of what you think of as that sound yeah i mean i guess it's just like we were saying before it's just like loud rock oh it's we'll, we'll chuck it in with that yeah they're they're lumped up in this this grunge thing and they're recording at pacadam studios where in utero was just recorded but you know they have references uh way more 70s and 60s than than early 90s yeah, I think that's yeah completely fair to say. They did go on to tour around the US, you know, playing to twenty five thousand people a night with Soundgarden, and so you know there, there's there's a tangible connection there, but it's it's totally just loud guitars, really. Okay, so deliberate references in tracks. Uh, so the ones that we could sort of find specifically were Train Spotting. Yeah, talking very, about Nick and Keith. Yep. So reference to the Rolling Stones for those listening at home. I'm sure most people would know. And then also a reference to um, Bayal Country, which yeah. is, the, I think, is it the second Credence Clearwater Oh, album? God, don't talk chronological. It's, I think it's like one of the earlier Credence albums. Yeah, totally. And Exile Main Street as well. Absolute classic stones. Probably the, what is that? Sort of the last of the, like, that classic Stones period from yeah. like 68 to 72. It's a hazy record. It's a hazy record, absolutely. And ironically enough, uh, one of the other references, which we were sort of debating whether it's an actual reference or not, but I think it's fair to say it is, is for Jamie's Got a Girl being a reference to the Aerosmith song, um, Janie's Got a Gun. Yeah. And Well, Jamie being, you know, his brother's name, um, originally started out in the band and kind of possibly left for a gal. Like, that's what it's referencing, but surely the, the got a girl, got a gun reference is deliberate. Yeah, I feel like where we made the de- decision that is definitely related is that episode of um, Good Evans, It's a Bobcast with Davey yes. and Kevin Mitchell. I think yeah. that sort of confirms it. Well, Davey said that, um, you know, when they're all picking the music in the in the van on the way home, that uh, he and Tim often chuck on uh, Jaded by Aerosmith. Personally, my favorite Aerosmith song, early 2000s, past the the big don't want to miss a thing kind of commercial peak. It feels like a very late commercial peak considering some of the what, great... 30 inf- years before. Yeah, <laughs> some of the great and fucking influential stuff they did early on. Because I, I, I like Aerosmith, I do, but fucking Jaded is a great pop song. Aside from that, we know, you know, Tim's a fan of Aerosmith, so... I feel like you couldn't escape... Um, being a kid in the 90s and not getting caught up in some of the grunge elitism. I thought you were going to say don't want to miss a thing. No, well, that too, but like, but that's, the two things are kind of linked together. Like, because there was this big focus on, you know, not selling out, being authentic, to see something like don't miss a thing made me instantly distrust <laughs> Aerosmith. <laughs> and so even though I kind of knew they had this like back catalogue that was loved. I've never gone back and checked it out because I yeah. guess there's still part of me that hangs on to that. So I, I guess I need to rectify that and the check idea out of, some of the early records. The idea of that, you know, selling out elitism kind of shit just seems so quaint now. Well, yeah, now it's like, who can we sell our songs to? Because yeah. that gives us cash to go to our... How do we make some make fucking money records? out of this business? Only other James Got a Girl reference is uh, 20,000 B-side to the single. Yeah, yeah. So there's a reference in that to um, Dave Graney and how he dances. Very stylishly as he dresses. Well, Dave Graney is a very interesting man. Like he's, uh, he's very, I would describe him as a gentleman and quite dapper. Yeah, look, if he dresses for the job he wants to have... I'm not entirely sure what, sure what that job is, but it's... I'd buy it. I'd buy what he's selling. Yeah. So, talking about B-sides, which, you know, obviously there are a whole heap of references in the albums to different bands and other pop culture references, but can you find any more actually in the lyrics or should we keep moving on to B-sides? I couldn't find any more on Sound As Ever, but if we have missed anything, please let us know. On Trainspotting, he's talking about pressing play on a Leon tape. What does that mean? 
Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, with a cord, call, or Leon tape you'd push. What's a Leon tape? Leon Russell? Leon Russell? That's the only Leon I can think of. Leon Russell potential reference. Um, I'll allow it. You'll allow it? Okay, deal. All right. So, yeah, if we've missed anything, if you uh, in other lyrics have heard another reference that you think you could contribute, please let us know. There's a bunch of covers on the singles as well as B-sides and... You know, yeah, which ultimately ended up on the Super Unreal editions. Yeah, album. even if there wasn't like a treasure trove of, you know, really raw demos and stuff that you'd probably listen to once and go, huh, you know, I can see where that came from. You know, there were, it was a really good way to collect all those B sides that you know super fans like that collected the singles already had, but it was a really nice kind of way to put them all together. Yeah, I remember paying some obscene amount of money for. I don't think it was anything off sound as ever. I think I got the singles off that relatively cheap. Mm. But I remember paying like 60 bucks or something for the single of Purple Sneakers. Yeah, totally. Like, but some, some of those singles are, you know, harder to come by than others. And uh, there's a fair amount of collectors out there. So those covers, should we go through them? Absolutely. Well, Berlin Chair single. You know, this is, as, as I mentioned, time that they'd been lumped in with the grunge kind of category. And they straight up fucking Berlin chair B-side go 60s. Definitely um, more 60s, 70s inspired. So there's two covers on the Berlin chair single. So the first one's probably of no surprise to anyone with um, The Who's Can't Explain, Mm. which was The Who's first single. It's super sign of things to come with Can't Explain because that's way more... That sort of jangly sound. Yeah. yeah. That hi-fi way sound 100%. And then the other cover on there was probably from a more obscure band mighty kong yeah which were an australian i don't know if you can really call them a a super group or not i I guess i don't really have the context of what it was at that point in time to say for sure yeah but it had members of daddy cool yeah well it was ross wilson post daddy cool and technically pre-daddy cool yeah before i'm sure was one of many uh reunion tours yeah absolutely look I, i don't know maybe it's just one of those things that gets lost and out of print but clearly someone tim knew or tim himself would have had a copy of um that mighty kong record yeah it is on apple music so the song's called all i want to do is rock i i had never heard of them so like there's you know there's not a hell of a lot of legacy but it's definitely the music nerd in tim rogers that has you know decided to cover that particular song it certainly wasn't for you know the wedding covers band you know he was covering it because he loved it yeah it's it's interesting um don't want to get too ahead of ourselves but if you think of some of the songs the band would like australian classics the band would go on to cover Mm. it's a rather obscure choice also off that super unreal edition again with the 60s kind of sound covering the beatles definitely more of um kind of darker lennon beatles i'm so tired off the white album uh was covered on james got a girl single which we like I guess now have the benefit of knowing the White Album would go on to probably be a pretty significant thing in um, in Tim's life, given the the shows that he did with Chris Cheney, Josh Pyack, and Phil Jameson covering mm. the entire album from start to finish. Two separate runs of that, both of which we saw, really fucking good. But I imagine you spend so much time having another look into that album and you know picking the songs and rehearsing the songs and listening through to those albums over and again. He would have listened to Beatles' White Album because, you know, everyone who likes music at some point in their life has gone through the Beatles' back catalogue. But, you know, it's a, it's an interesting choice. And all three of those, you know, choices for B-side covers really indicate band's influence, the fact that they weren't that grunge band they were touted to be and also what they were going to do in the future. Around the time they were playing um, a Who track, though, but was that ever released? Um, I don't know that it was actually... Well, I guess it's not really a Who track, right? Like, so we're saying that... All right. Well, uh, to to me, Young Man Blues was popularized by the Who, right? 100%. But um, it itself is a cover. So it's a cover Mm. of a cover. That's sort of all we can think of in terms of references, in terms of indirect or direct to other bands, covers, bits and pieces from the Sound as Ever period. Obviously... Berlin Chair is the song that people fall out over and over and over again at gigs um, as sort of 
their most influential song. It's been voted, you know, in various polls as top rock song or top song of the 90s, but um, it's been covered a bunch as well. Yeah, so it's been covered, I guess, by a, a wide variety of artists, mm. really. Uh, it's particularly the ones that, well, Australian artists, we, uh, Holly Throsby has covered the song, Paul Dempsey. That, that Holly Throsby and the Paul Dempsey version as well, just fucking gorgeous. Like... They they strip back the song to just acoustic for both of those versions, and they've both got really distinct, unique voices. Both kind of um, Holly Throsby's, you know, really brings out that melody in the chorus a lot more, and um, really nice kind of voicings in the guitar. Well, the Paul Dempsey cover came from those sort of like backstage sort of YouTube sessions he was doing yeah. for one tour. Like yeah. I don't know if it was on. A solo tour. It was on a solo tour, and then that became that became Shotgun Karaoke, the album. There were lots of good covers that he did. Like I remember the Afghan Wigs one of What Jail Is Like was really good. Mm. Um, What what else did he do? Oh, Jesus, etc. By Wilco. Like Mm -hmm. there was a whole bunch of really good stuff that he covered. And I think his his voice is particularly versatile as well. Like he can handle a lot of range and a lot of kind of dynamics as well in his voice and I think he did that really well who else uh Smudge Smudge and Kiss Chasey I can't say I'm a Kiss Chasey fan but I'm Do- definitely a Smudge well fan they, they're a good band they're alright they're tight kind of pop punk piece um but clearly they are UMI fans and yeah, they any, get points just for that. They get points just for that. So do you, dear listener. Um, but Kiss Chasey, Berlin Chair cover. Any any other covers you can think of? Please please let us know from that record period. Next is Hi Fi Away. Totally seen as one of the Australian classic albums. They don't necessarily see it that way, but um, they seem to understand its place in Australian pop culture. But they just came off the back of touring for Sound as Ever touring for ages, touring with Soundgarden, and they were playing tight rather than come back and let things percolate and take some time. They just went straight to New York, East Village, and drank a lot and knocked out a whole bunch of tunes. And first record with Rusty on drums as well. First record with Rusty on drums as well. Um, Also, again with Lee Ronaldo? Uh, Yes, yes. Mm. It's funny having the same producer helm two, you know, very different records. And the EP before in Coprolalia, I'm pretty sure he produced as oh, well. Did he as the well? EP. Yeah. So he had he had the the three in a row with them. Yeah, I think the story was he heard the band play. I don't know if it was the first big day out, but one of the first big day outs. Mm. Um, and yeah, was a was a huge fan. So I think mm. it's a testament to sort of what the band are that he had that. I think desire it's like to, to produce them with with you know Lee Ronaldo going on to produce and even you know like Davey joining the fucking band, there's a certain amount of their, them being music fans and them being music nerds themselves. It's just kind of like, if you are also a fan, you're, you're going to dig get it. more. Absolutely. It, but yeah, that's exactly why people like Lee Ronaldo and, you know, heaps of other, you know, musical mates of theirs are into working with the band and becoming part of the band because they're kind of that same ilk themselves. Big music nerds, similar reference points. You know, it's not... It's not what you are like, it's what you like that defines a relationship sometimes. <laughs> First references that stand out. Yeah, so John from the Posies played Hammond organ on Minor Bird, which I actually didn't realise until we sort of sat down to do some prep for this. So are they, do we know if they're mates? Do they just kind of like roll them in because they were in New York at the time? I have no idea, but I would say that if you haven't checked out the Posies, Frosting on the Beater, go check it out. It's a brilliant, brilliant album. Obviously there's a very direct, reference in the artwork as well well i wonder how direct it is because um the silhouette faces on the cover of hi-fi away um which the album cover was designed by uh simon alderson is a reference to a poster for the white album before it was released yeah so a nice little sort of throwback to i'm so tired from before and Mm. beatles Mm. reference but i'm not sure how overt a reference it is because it was just sort of like a promotional poster so I'm, yeah. But it's still it's still a reference to it. It's still oh, 100%, it was but I don't know how instantly recognizable it would be to others. Yeah, no, I get it's that. It's kind of like, you know, this 
the cover for porridge and hot sauce is a reference to the <laughs> Spanish version of sticky fingers. It's like, yeah. if you're that way inclined, you'll notice. Otherwise, it'll just pass you by. There's yeah. something in it for everyone. If you are that kind of person, you might go deeper because you share the same reference points. And that's, that's exactly why people like uh, you and I and like a lot of people listening that's why people are super fucking nerds about this band because being a nerd about this band they're just the conduit to heaps of other nerdy reference points that you can get into and love and it's a nice thing it's like a little club well I always just see it as almost a, a musical education so you know you're into this band and that's a jumping off point to find out about more yeah sometimes it's things that you already know about yeah. And sometimes it's things that you discover because of covers, because of the references. You go, oh, I'll go, I'll go check that out. Yeah, exactly. Like, I probably wouldn't be a Lyle Lovett listener, but there's a Lyle Lovett reference in it. Indeed. Yeah, I wasn't actually sure who Lyle Lovett was until we sort of started piecing together this episode. Weirdly, I, when I hear Lyle Lovett, I think Lily Lumpkin. Oh, I just instantly thought of Norman Lovett, who's really? Holly from Red Dwarf. Oh, <laughs> I was just of like, course. <laughs> that of course. was just sort of what I came to. But, but I, I think it's just, uh, yeah, went down the YouTube sort of rabbit hole a little bit with Lyle Lovett. And yeah, I did find that there's that song, She's Already Made Up Her Mind, which is from his 1992 album, which is referenced in the song Grey, or we believe it's referenced in the song Grey, yeah, yeah. with the line, fell asleep to the line, while sung, she's made up her mind. Well, Grey's a reference itself. Yeah, um, so uh, with the utmost respect, um, we mentioned that the title of the song Grey is a reference to Stephen Grey, who was the lead singer of Box the Jesuit, um, who were a Sydney band um, that you and I supported in the early days, but also who Tim was quite close friends with, mm. who, uh, who passed away shortly before um, Sound As Ever came out, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. And so that album was dedicated um, to him. All right, what else have we got? Uh, Pizza so, Guy? So in Pizza Guy, probably a pretty obvious reference um, to going to a Mass Appeal show. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Kathy's Clown, while not a direct reference to the Everly Brothers kind of is because it's such a unique title it would seem fairly random otherwise but i i don't know that i ever recall like reading any press or no where where it's been referenced so whether it is or not i'm not sure but you don't call a song you know kathy's clown without it being referenced it's like you call a song love me too someone's gonna think it's a cover but still unique title cool reference okay we'll, we'll, we'll pay it Okay, should we go through the covers on the B-sides? Yeah. Okay, so the first reference is on the Cappy's Clown single uh, for the big star song In the Street, mm-hmm. um, which I guess is sort of interesting in a number of ways. So first of all, this predates that 70s show where In the Streets sort of be, probably became popularised again it, with the t- credit To t- be honest, it, it co-opted that song. It, it, it's, it's now, you know, for most people who aren't big star fans... That's what that song is. It, it's a theme song. That's what it is now. It, it changed the definition of that song for anyone who's not a fan of the band. Yeah, well, it's probably like Superhero by Jane's Addiction. Mm. People just would hear that as the theme song to Entourage or... Yeah. Um, what's the Regina Spector song? The Regina Spector song that is the soundtrack, the opening theme to Orange is the New Black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, a couple other references, I guess, with that particular song. So firstly... The album that that's lifted from is number one record, which would then be sort of pay tribute to subsequently on UMI's number four record. Yeah, let it on the track. That's number four record. Definitely reference to Big Star. I think a hundred percent. That's definitely one you can chalk up. But secondly, the that seventy show version of In the Street was recorded by Cheap Trick, and UMI would go on to cover Cheap Trick on their latest tour last year with the Hoodoo Gurus. Yeah, and it's on the new different record. Different song, though. Yeah, definitely different song, but it's on the um, new record, All Aboard, the live record. Is it All Aboard? Yeah, it is All Aboard. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was listening back this morning to that record, and the intro where Tim sort of says, this is not the first single from our new album, is lifted from... Um, the Live at Buttercan mm. album of Cheap yeah. Trick when they introduced Surrender. So, different song because they're covering um, I Want You to Want Me. Mm. 
can't think of any particular examples off the top of my head, but Tim does that quite a bit. He um, does mention, you know, or lift sort of like onstage banter from live records of Shitty Loves. Yeah, well, there's there's definitely um, some banter from Get Ye Ya Ya's Out mm. in the 95 Live at the Wales performance. Fucking where he talks totally. about um, busting a button. Yes, so. absolutely. Like, that's kind of what I love that's, you know, once again, talking about the music nerd, how deep it goes. Like, it's not just a cover, it's live banter from, like, a live record that he loves. That's that's some nice referencing. Well, that's kind of to the nth degree with the upcoming Spinal Tap tour. <laughs> like, Fuck, yes, it is. Definitely taking it, um, turning <laughs> it up to 11. Like, it's... Okay, just, just breaking in, breaking in, going through these records. Like, that you know, the ultimate reference is a fucking tribute. They've they've done, you know, shows around... Uh, obviously, Tim's been involved in White Album shows. They've done Rolling Stones tribute shows. They've, or specifically Exile on Main Street. Specifically Exile, yeah. Um, and Davey's done some Beatles stuff. They've, you know, all been involved and in... the Easy Beats. The, yes. And also, oh, I guess whilst on the subject of Big Star, also um, for Big Star's third album... There was a bit of a show that was put on a couple of years ago. Yeah, there was. That Tim was a part of. So they've all sort of, they've all sort of had, you know, part in tribute to other bands, but to do a full Spinal Tap tribute show, I can't fucking wait to see that. It's going to be great. That's only in a couple of weeks. I just hope um, baby number two doesn't arrive a little bit early and spoil my chances of going. No, okay. Although I feel like my offspring uh, take priority. Yes, 100%. (laughs) Love you, future baby, but just, just wait. Just cook a little more. Just wait. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's going to be a uniquely enjoyable and weird experience. But it's, it's going to be great. So the next cover off the Hi-Fi Way singles was for Purple Sneakers and the song We're Desperate by the band X. And that's the American band X, not the Australian one. I don't actually know the original of this. You should definitely check out the record Los Angeles by yeah. the band X, who... Okay. Um, so it came out in the early 1980s and it was produced by Ray Manzarek from The Doors from The Doors I I think you would really like it what's Ray Manzarek doing producing sort of a LA punk album well I think probably at that point I don't think The Doors were doing a whole lot (laughs) probably not no just I would just add to that that whilst not the same band there are also references to the Australian band X further on in the band's catalog. Where? Um, so on the Idiot Box soundtrack, mm. um, which I think Tim produced or helped put together. There's a fair bit of UMI on there. Yeah, but um, the, the rest of the album was sort of covers of more underground Australian classics. Yeah. And one of which was Degenerate Boy by the Sydney band X. Okay. Which, um, Notably, Steve Lucas and Ian Ryland were in. Mm. And I'm pretty sure UMI also covered um, Degenerate Boy with Steve Lucas at one of the gigs we went to in maybe at the Metro in Sydney. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, But yeah, and then after that, sort of a return to Big Star in that on the reissue for Hi-Fi Way, there's the Chris Bell song, You and Your Sister, so Chris Bell was originally in Big Star, but left after the first record. Yeah. But this particular song is from Chris Bell's solo record, um, which I think only came out um, after he passed away um, at the age of 27. Mm. On the reissue, we've got uh, Things We Said Today, another Beatles cover. Um, also, you know, notably not taking the... Um, taking the tribute route and playing, you know, the Beatles' greatest hits. You know, Things We Said Today... Obviously, popular great, great Beatles song. song, great song, but not your usual go-to cover. So, you know, it's like like I'm so tired. It's you know a little deeper into the Beatles. The only other things we found in Hi-Fi Way in the reissue and the surrounding tours were um, on the reissue. There's also a cover of the Spencer Davis groups "I'm a Man," mm-hmm. and then "Thank You Setlist.fm." But we also found that during this time, there was also a cover of Molly's Lips um, by the Vaselines, which the, the band played at a show in Melbourne. Excellent. Which, um, I guess, probably didn't help the Nirvana references. <laughs> <laughs> setlist FM. I've never populated any setlist. I've only ever 
gone and check them out. But who are these people populating set lists on set lists FM? Well, it's basically just like Wikipedia, right? Yeah, I know, but, but I've I, I I've never seen anyone taking notes that's not a reviewer. Oh, I did for that. Do you remember? What, you took notes or you saw someone taking notes? No, no, I took the notes. Yeah. It was for, a, surprisingly, a Tim Rogers show that you and I went to uh, in July 2015, which was this really odd venue on Beaumont Street, um, the Depot. Oh. Remember when I saw when Tim play there? So the set list for that particular show, I uploaded to setlist.fm. Just because I'm, I have I'm the guy. just because I have the author himself here, I will um, <laughs> I will ask any note anything notable in that set. Um, it's the first time that I ever heard Cars and Girls, which was yeah. later to go on to be on Tim's most recent record, An Actor Repairs. Totally, and then also a different version released um, on their seven inch single which was also released on a 7-inch supporting the What's yeah. R- What Rhymes With Cars and Girls play. Cool. So we're at the end of Hi-Fi Way. Next record, Early Daily. Okay, so I know this this one's probably one of your favourite records. They're all my favourite records. I just get a, get the feeling you're you're more of a Early Daily man than a Hi-Fi Way man. I'm more of a number four record man. I love the clean jangliness of... Hourly Daily, there's something almost Songs from Northern Britain, Teenage Fan Club about it, which is my favourite Teenage Fan Club record. But it doesn't mean I don't love um, Grand Prix. I like the sound, just sonically, the clean recording of this record. is More awesome. of a bandwagon-esque man myself. Totally, <laughs> totally fine. And look, you know, if you want to compare UMI record sounds to Teenage Fan Club sounds, I mean, bandwagon-esque, a bit raw you know, kind of distorted guitar-y, Grand Prix, jangly, full of harmonies, but still not as clean as the next record, Songs from Northern Britain, totally follows Sound As Ever, Hi-Fi Way, Alley Daily. I'm sure not intentionally, but um, that really clean, crisp, defined sound works for me. Speaking of clean, crisp, defined sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so yeah. Yeah, so I think Alley Daily was, I don't know, probably their most considered work at, at the time. Yeah, well, they recorded at home for the first time. They've been recording in America for the other records. And um, who worked on this one? Wayne Connolly, Paul McKercher. Um, and David Bianco, who produced Teenage Fan Club. Fuck, totally. And it's he, almost yeah. like you planted that seed there deliberately. But yeah, like at home with Australian producers um, and probably, I don't know, spend a bit more time on the the layering and the production and the sound of the record rather than, you know, the just focusing on knocking out the songs in a short, short period of time. So any direct references that you can think of, top of your head? Okay, so I think surprisingly, given that Alley Daily has this sort of place in Australian rock history and there's a lot of Australian references... Um, in the album itself, there's not a lot of direct references to other other bands or mm. or songs. But there's definitely sort of nods of the hat. So I, I think just the whole setup of the album itself, you know, as the bands mentioned themselves, there's definitely a spirit taken from the Pretty Things, SF Sorrow, um, obviously the Kings, Village Green, Preservation Society. Their general theory with Mr. Milk is that it's. Um a bit of sensors working overtime, XTC. Yeah, well, I mean, again, like it's hard to say like how whether it was deliberate or whether it's you know sort of realised afterwards. I think it's realised afterwards. I don't think it's, I don't think it's deliberate. Like I think it's one of those things that maybe you know if you want to see the similarities in that you got to start picking out similarities in pretty much every fucking band. Because yeah, maybe rhythmically in in that little lick. And you know, to, to some respect, it is is reminiscent, but it's hardly I, it's I hardly it's, a rip. It's definitely not like a carbon copy. It's like, no I've fucking not way. Deliberately ripped this off, and it's you know obviously not a rip off at any rate. But um, the band would go on to cover the song, which uh, we did experience at that show at, out of the Hunter Valley. Remember yeah. Was that big- Big bushfire. Yeah, yeah. We went to see that show where it was. That was like, a fucking what, great show. Spider bait, something for Kate, the meanies. They covered the nut bush. To the um, 
dismay of some members of the audience oh, who just couldn't them. take Have a joke. Have some fun. He did say before playing the song itself. This one's for you, train spotters out there. And started the ri- the riff to Mr. Milk, and then turned it into Census Working Overtime himself. I I don't know if the Census Working Overtime thing is a direct rip. It's just you know the urban legend of references. Uh, reference possibly in Baby Clothes, um, fucking kicker of a drum opening to that song. But uh, you know, is it about this sort of Courtney Love? inspired baby doll sort of cutesy girl meets zombie fashion I do seem to recall reading interviews or reviews at the time that that reference that Mm. Um, but I just don't know if that's just a hazy memory of mine or whether that's a real thing but we both share that hazy memory so that's got to be a thing but we've also shared a, a lot of drinks so it's possible it could be some sort of group think that some kind of transmitted some sort of cult drink transmitted group think whilst we couldn't find a lot of specific references in the lyrics to Alley Daily itself there certainly are a lot of covers on the b-sides to the singles and on the special edition Um, we mentioned the Easy Beats before that uh, last year Tim was involved in some Easy Beats tribute stuff Uh, first Easy Beats cover that kind of pops up around this time She's So Fine uh, yeah, so that's on the, the bonus disc for Alley Daily that I think was released on maybe the first 20,000 copies of the record. Was or it the live version or that was a recorded version? Uh, this is a live version because mm. the bonus disc was um, was from a, a show they did at Wiseman's Ferry or okay. something, I think. Yeah. Um, and the other covers off that particular um, bonus disc was The Creations Making Time mm-hmm. and one of my uh, personal favourites, um, Iggy and the Stooges, Search and Destroy. Which, once again, you know, is a cover sort of showing another side of their influence that would really creep in a little bit later with something like Convicts. What else? Okay, so Mr. Milk single has uh, The Smoke's My Friend Jack. So I don't really know too much about The Smoke other than, like, 60s sort of beat band. No, but I, um, I do enjoy any song with the use of the word sugar lumps. That's true, that's true. And then we revisited the, the Easy Beats on... The Good Morning single with I'll Make You Happy. Yes. Which, uh, is a studio recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, Six Strings of Separation. Tim Rogers did a record with the Bamboos. Bamboos just covered I'll Make You Happy with Montaine for the Rebeat EP. On the, the came out, I think... Towards the end of last towards year. Towards the end of last year. Yeah. Uh, also, an incredibly different version. Really fucking lush. Really cool. Not that that wasn't cool. But yeah, no. Definitely Easy Beats and Influence. And there was one other... Sing- uh, there was one other cover on the Good Morning single, uh, which was You Must Fight to Live on the Planet of the Apes by The Mummies, which Rusty sings. I hadn't heard that before I saw them play that live, and that was, uh, it's not was, is always an experience for Rusty doing that song. Was that at the MySpace secret show in 2006? I think that was the first time I heard them play that. Uh, so next we have the Tuesday single, which has two covers on it, the first of which being The Who's Circles. Yep. Um, so a nice... Or a second appearance by, or the third really, mm. between Can't Explain, Young Man Blues, and now Circles. Mm. I don't think I'd really heard Circles before. It's not. It was a B side itself. Yeah, so it's not really like a, a popular Who song. It's not, you know, a My Generation or mm. Barbara O'Reilly or yeah. one of the big ones that people would go to. Um, the other song on the Tuesday single um, was Bob Dylan's Tonight I'll Be Staying Here with You, which is also not exactly known as one of his most popular songs. Yeah. Um, or probably even off one of his most famous albums. Um, so this one was from Nashville Skyline, which sort of came out, I think, in the early 70s. The trike single, I can hear the grass grow, cover of the move. Don't know the original. I only know the original through this cover. Yeah. So it didn't sort of come to it independently. Um, and New York Dolls as well, which, um, you know, the band are a fan of, Morrissey's a fan of. They're a band that a lot of people have gotten into retroactively through people's love of them. Oh, I, that's 100% how I got into this band mm. through both the people that you mentioned. So UMI and Morrissey. New York Dolls is, um, they're going to be a showdown and um, appeared later on UMI self-titled. Yeah, so um, is it on Pinpricks? The self, on the self, yeah, self-titled yeah, record? Yeah, I think it is. A reference to yeah. someone like um, David Johansson? Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll get to those later records in another episode, but Definitely, that was just sort of like a little sneak peek. Like, uh, I think we are so um, prone to tangents, we'd just, we'd never make this, you know... We needed to contain this a episode, single episode in a way in which we could actually get through it. <laughs> 
Um, what else we got? Okay, so off the reissue, there's also um, another appearance by the Beatles. Yeah. This time with You Can't Do That. Once again, not the obvious uh, Beatles cover and still a very cool track. And then um, just sort of one that I sort of put in there just personally because I really enjoyed it. Um, on one of their recovery CDs from like probably, I don't know, 96, 97, I guess. Yeah. Um, there's a version of UMI doing the clashes, Janie Jones. Excellent. I don't think I've heard that version from that, that CD. I will share it with you. Thank you. And then according to Setlist FM, there's a couple other covers around this time. Yep. Um, We haven't haven't fact checked these, but they're the usual suspects. They would, they'd be what you, it's, it's, I'd believe it. It's believable. So we've got the Stones last time. Big Stars, September Girls, which um, mm. I have actually heard because um, there was a show from um, Albury Wodonga um, that was used to be available on UMI.net years ago, mm. and that was on there, so Excellent. definitely a good one. Um, Little Richard, The Girl Can't Help It, and Stones again. Little yeah. Richard, less of the usual suspect, but I believe it. Yeah, I, it's definitely credible. Um, and The Stones, Honky Tonk Woman. So again, most definitely believable. Uh, only other major reference in terms of um, I, I don't know of any covers of the tracks off that record that people have done, but um, Dead Letter Chorus surely got to be intentional band reference, right? You'd have to think, but uh, I don't sort of blame people for not covering anything off this record because it is such a iconic album. It, it's it would be a tough one to cover. Heavy Heart's got to be the most covered UMI song. In, and that's that leads us to the next record, number four record. There's nothing else from Ali Daly you'd, you'd point out? Negative. Negative. All right, we're well, moving on to number four. Okay, um, so I guess number four record was a album that was touted as a return to rock, which is pretty strange given there's Fucking lots ridiculous. of rock on Ali Daly. But it's fourth album. We've already referenced um, number four record being a big star reference in itself number one record um they recorded this overseas again where they recorded in sunset studios was where the stones mixed exile on main street okay which, as we've talked about big influence on the band yeah um they also brought in george draculius um who'd worked with you know black rose and primal scream he worked on um the trike and opportunities tracks yeah which was kind of that ep was a bit of a taster i guess yeah for, the sound for number four record. Well, okay, so any particular references strike you straight up? The Ben Montench from The Heartbreakers and not the punk band, band The Heartbreakers, the Tom Petty version of The Heartbreakers. Yeah. Um, played on Come Home With Me. Excellent. And then there's a couple of references song-wise on this record, which wasn't really the case on Alley Daily. Direct song references, um, anything they, they reference in tracks that you can think of straight up? Yeah, there's more direct, more references compared to Ali Daly. Um, so the first one being in Billy, with a reference to, to Bo Diddley. Yeah. Given the sound of the song makes complete sense. Oh, yeah. And then subsequently on Rumble, a couple of references on this one. Okay. So first one, um, well, probably the most obvious one is to, to Ronnie James Dio, which was strangely my first introduction to the man Dio. I got number four record when it came out. Yeah. And a holiday in Coffs Harbour. Like, I was 14 at the time. So, yeah, I was into Black Sabbath, but I didn't realise that there was more Black Sabbath. Later as, era Black Sabbath. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, I was into um, Paranoid and self-titled record. Yeah. I didn't even realise there was stuff later on without Ozzy. Yeah. And there was much stranger stuff than Ronnie James Dio. Oh, yeah. That feels like a like an improvisation. Like with the R-A-D-I-E-O stuff, I kind of like to think that that was Tim fucking around and adding it in. Yeah, just a bit of playfulness. And I'm going to approve this for myself, even though I don't approved. really think it's a musical reference as Rubber such. stamped. But the mention of Lionel Rose, who is obviously yeah. more notably known as a boxer and than not a musician. a musician, but also has had a musical career. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that was referencing his musical career, though. Yeah. I highly doubt it. But <laughs> this Bocephus thing, you know. <laughs> I like how you say this Bocephus thing. We've, we've discussed. <laughs> like there's some sort of preamble where people know what we're about to talk about. Well, okay, so there's there's some preamble there in that we discussed who's what's a Bocephus. Um, what's a pachyderm? What's a pachyderm? This was more relevant than what's a pachyderm, though, being the name of a studio and this being an actual reference. But where did we get to? 
Okay, so I think what we discovered is Bocephus is the name of a dummy that yeah. a comedian had in, I don't know, like the 20th century sometime. Like, Gabbo, Gabbo, Gabbo. <laughs> and that um, Hank Williams named his son, Hank Williams Jr., well, nicknamed his son. Bocephus, because, you know, you're, you're like a little that. version of me. Yeah. So not like you're a dummy, but you're like, you're my you're my little offsider. You're my go-to. You're, you're my Bocephus. Which is quite, quite creepy, really. Pretty creepy. So is that that what we're, we're guessing the reference is? Because he's a Hank Williams fan, that Tim. I mean, it does seem pretty random otherwise. Yeah. He likes the word Bocephus. Like that's pretty. That's pretty niche. I just like the sound of that word. Bocephus. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the more you say it, I do pick up a particular ring in that. What? It's quite fun to say. Yeah, it's Bocephus. fun to say. Bocephus. Uh, okay, so um, not something I would have ever picked up until we went. What the hell's a? What's a Bocephus? Um, so yeah, no Hank Williams reference. We're guessing. Hank Williams Jr. Guys, girls, guitars. I, well, I, I think we're both reasonably well-versed in this, but yeah, a reference to Elvis Costello's first album, My Aim Is True. Yep. And then sort of closing out with, and vandalism, with reference to Art Blakey. He talks about Art Blakey. He does, and I pretend to know what he means. So Art Blakey is? I have no idea other than that he's a jazz musician and that's about it. So maybe I need to rectify that. Yeah, look, this is this is the thing with, you know, these references being in there. Obviously, they're personal to the songwriter, but they're, you know, littered tidbits of things you should um, you should get into or at least listen to. And Take it as homework. All right, homework for both of us is listening to Art Blakey. Okay, done. Okay, so the covers on the, the singles for this record. Um, so on the Heavy Heart single, two covers. So the first being The Pretty Things, Midnight Six Man, which is interesting given that The Pretty Things were probably more directly referenced on the previous record, mm. on Alley Daily. Um, and something as well that's been previously referenced on B-Sides uh, with the live version of See So Fine, um, by the Easy Beats, this is recorded version. And... Then on the bonus disc for number four record, lots of covers on that. So Live covers though, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So these were recorded for Triple J. Um, so there was the Rolling Stones, Live With Me, yep. Off Let It Bleed. Um, New York Dolls make a reappearance, this time with Looking For A Kiss. Yep. And then some uh, uh, some new entries, Sweet. Yep. With Fox On The Run. And... There was the Radio City bonus disc, which was taken from the Live of the Wireless performance, but there were also a couple of tracks that were broadcast but not put on the CD. Yeah. Um, and they were Hippie Hippie Shake yeah. um, by Swinging Blue Jeans or probably more likely maybe the Beatles. Yeah. And also Chinese Rock, which there's a bit of controversy over who gets the credit for that song. For me, it's always seen as a Ramones, but... Well, it's also Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers. Yeah. So, um, I prefer the Heartbreakers version. Mm. And we did touch on this before, but you know, we we're sort of talking about the most covered song by the band. It's got to be so Heavy Heart. Berlin Chair is definitely up there, but I think yeah, Heavy but... Heart, given its style, lends itself to a broader group. Yeah, of like it's it's very much you know the solo acoustic guitar singer songwriter cover like. Obviously, Berlin Cherry has been oft-covered and brought, in, brought into that style, but this more lends itself to that. Who, who's covered Heavy Heart, though? Um, like, well, who hasn't? Who, <laughs> who hasn't? <laughs> I, I, I loved the, the Courtney Barnett cover because I just think her voice sounds really great with that kind of style. Well, I think she sort of suits that sort of laid-back, yeah. um, like, dream, or like a bit, bit hazy-sounding. That was, probably. you know, on US TV with Austin City Limits as well. That's a really cool, you know, reminder and platform to um, US fans. But yeah, it has also been covered by Paul Kelly, Ben Lee... Uh, Lisa Mitchell, TZU, the Super Suckers. Yeah, yeah. That's the end of the four records. We could, you know, go on, but this has gone on long enough. Well, I think maybe before we finished up, what I wouldn't mind just tying off 
um, from this period is some of the songs on the Idiot Box soundtrack. Compilation record slash soundtrack. Yeah, soundtrack. That Yeah, for the 1997 film Idiot Box. That's What's cool. interesting about this soundtrack is that um, it was produced by Tim and he actually was responsible for choosing the, some of the songs that the different bands covered That's on the awesome. album. That's awesome, yeah. Um, and it sort of focused on songs which are sort of underground Australian anthems mm. rather than the obvious sort of Australian classics. Once again, rather than the obvious, he's going for, you know, what he likes. That's right. There's not a case on to be seen. Um, but I think of sort of particular note that sort of jumps out is Degenerate Boy, which was covered by the Mark of Cain, which mm-hmm. was originally by the band X, which we talked about earlier. The Australian or the American? The Australian band X. And then we have Television Addict, covered by UMI, yep. um, which is a cover of um, a song by The Victims, so do you know who the victims are? No, not more than not more than this reference. Okay, well we'll have to go back to Dave Faulkner's place and explain to him that you do not know who his first <laughs> band is. I think I um, think he'd be okay with that. Um, I'm sure he would. He was a very lovely man. Um, but yeah, no, the victims were um, Dave Faulkner's first band, so punk band, sort of late seventies. Yeah. Um, James Baker from um, Hootie Gurus and Be Suburban were yeah. also in that band. Um, so I, I'm not sure they released a whole lot at the time, but I think they're actually gearing up at the moment to tour and record something some 35, 40 years afterwards. Yeah. (laughs) So that should be pretty interesting. Um, And also as a sort of bonus to this, there was one single released from the record, which was the Mark O'Kain doing Degenerate Boy. But the B-side to that was UMI doing a cover of the Beast of Bourbon Dropout, which is off their first record, Axeman Jazz. There's a long relationship between Tim and Tex that that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Yeah, and they are definitely one of the best sort of underground Australian bands. We'll likely at some point go and do subsequent records and go through them, starting with Dress Me Slowly and ending with Porridge and Hot Sauce. We've already mentioned Porridge and Hot Sauce has a reference even in the cover alone. So there's a lot to dig and dive into there. But, you know, we're only human. We've probably missed out a whole bunch of um, references in the first four records that you might have picked up. Um, maybe you can clarify things maybe you can just find things that we haven't so please mention in comments or um, we'll post a forum or place for you to do that on Facebook probably yeah well, I'd just like to, to thank uh, UMI.net was pretty a, a wealth of resource for us so we did pinch a lot from there mm. um, but yeah please um, if you did enjoy the episode please you know put a review on iTunes and Give us a rating that you think we deserve. Welcome back, Pointy. Welcome back, please. Please.